0: you found the Winding Roads Podcast. My name is Isaac Redinger. Each week, my guests and I talk about cars. Our own cars, our past cars, cars we're excited about, how we were bitten by the car enthusiast bug, and more. Hop in, buckle up, and join me for another great drive. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. Welcome back to the Winding Roads Podcast. Today, I am joined by Stu Leslie. Uh, You would know him from Off in the S's on YouTube, as well as his podcast, Welcome to the show, still.
1: Thanks for having me. How
0: are you? Pretty good. I'm looking forward to talking some IMSA um, and some other things like that. How did you get into IMSA when I assume you were younger or, or what brought you to IMSA? Did you start with like NASCAR or something else?
1: Yeah, so I guess really it all started actually with my parents back in the back in the 70s and 80s. This is long before I was born. Um, but back in the seventies and eighties, they used to make a trek to Mossport. It was called at the time, or mm-hmm. lots of, lots of motorsports fans will still refer to it as, uh, as, as such, but, um, they would make the trip up there for the Can-Am series that would, uh, okay. that would roll through every year. And, um, they enjoyed that. They would go, they'd camp every year. And, um, and then when, when we came along as kids, my sister and I, uh, things kind of, they slowed down of course. And, and, um, My dad always, uh, he kept up with NASCAR. Uh, so I grew up when I was younger, you know, watching NASCAR. I I remember a few races seeing Dale Earnhardt. Um, my dad was a big fan of him. And then, um, naturally over the years, you know, we would watch it. I I would say through the heyday of NASCAR, you know, the, Mm uh, the mid to late two thousands, even though, uh, Jimmy Johnson was dominating those, those years, a lot of fun to watch. Um, and then, kind of towards the end of the the two thousands started getting into Formula One as well. And mm. the first season that I really got into was uh, when Lewis Hamilton won his won his first title, and okay. and that was a pretty good season to get into it. That was a great end to the to the season, and kind of carrying on from that, I would follow F one, I would follow some NASCAR, um, but then I went off to uh, to university. For uh, I was born in Ottawa and. And now I was moving to Toronto. And at the time, this was, you know, 2012-ish. Um, there wasn't the, it wasn't as easy to find races streaming online mm. as it is today, you know. Um, if I wanted to have access to cable in residence, then, you know, it was it was a hefty price per month to, to have access to that. So I kind of fell off a little bit in following much racing at all. Um, of course, NASCAR, which I had mainly followed at the time, kind of, it went into a bit of a decline. I don't think there's any denying that through the 2010s. Sure. Um, and then Formula One, I kind of fell off um, as well. <clears throat> but, um, but actually, more importantly, before I even went off to school, um, what really got me and what I guess hooked me into getting into the, the Formula-style races uh, was um, my dad is a heavy diesel mechanic. And hmm. um, and at work, there was uh, one of the guys that he worked with, uh, did some weekend uh, pit crewing for uh, a Formula Ford team. Okay. Uh, so these, I can't remember. It's an like an '80s Ford. Can't remember. Can't remember what the um, what the car is that the engine can- comes out of. But uh, all of these, you know, it's got this '80s Ford motor in it, and just little super basic Formula cars. Um, and we, there's a circuit that runs in Ontario um, at the time. I think it was called like, the F-1600 series. And, um, and they went around and uh, we got involved in this pit crew. So, you know, I think it was um, probably six, seven, eight weekends of, uh, of the summer. We would do the tour around to Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, uh, Calabogie, Shannonville, it, which is mostly a moto track. Um, and then we actually went to Mont as well. Uh, there was an F one support series weekend that they did, uh, so we would make the trek around with uh, with them. And you know, i I was pretty young <laughs> at the time, so I was you know running tools back and forth and helping out where I could, and it was just a lot of fun. And that really got really got the the formula car bug i guess mm-hmm. and um really started getting into f1 um, okay after that as well
0: nice i was wondering if you were also into f1 i feel like a lot of the like non nascar style racing enthusiasts kind of like several genres like you know single seaters and and um, like endurance racing and things like that so um i was going to ask you about that but it doesn't surprise me yeah. that you also <laughs> are into that
1: It was actually um when uh, so when i went off to school and i kind of fell off you know the accessibility of of being able to watch some of this stuff it wasn't until um had to be 2018 2019 when the first season of drive to survive came out Mm. um and i feel like this is going to be uh this is a theme for a lot of motorsport fans right now is um you know i i got into drive drive to survive and really started getting back into formula one like i had followed it a bit over the years as i finished up school and had access to more disposable income to be able to watch things again um uh, i i got back into it pretty hard with uh with drive to survive um and then from there it's that that really spurred my interest back in imsa racing or not that there was actually a ton of interest in imsa back before mm-hmm. I went off to school. It was mostly in NASCAR and in the, the formula cars, um, but it really spurred an interest in, in IMSA and has kind of led to my fandom of, and where that is today.
0: <laughs> yeah. How? What's the streaming or what's the accessibility like in Canada for uh, more minor league or less, less uh, prominent types of racing? Like here, for me, at least until recently when you could start streaming things it was every now and then if there was like probably dead air i guess you could say then they would have uh one of the endurance series on or something like that otherwise it was dominated by nascar uh, f1 is always at a random time because it's in random parts of the world so that's kind of irrelevant to a lot of americans until drive to survive came around and streaming so it sounded like it was kind of difficult for you to find access to it. Um, what, what about when you were at home, like when you were a kid? Was it? What was? Did that progress at all? Has it gotten more available?
1: Definitely has. Um, of course, back when back when I was uh, still living at home and before I went off to school, again, it was it was the NASCAR heyday. Um, I think it was. I, I think I think a lot of people will agree with that. The mm-hmm. early 20s the 2000s anyways um but it was it was very easily available on cable television okay um to the point where practices were broadcast which Hmm. i i know that nascar and their practice structure has changed in recent years but i have not seen a single nascar practice broadcast on television this year um And so it that was available on essentially our ESPN equivalent, uh, TSN. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were at practice qualifying races, you name it. We were, we were able to find that and formula one was easily available too on the same, the same channels. Um, but, uh, how, how that's evolved to today, um, uh, NASCAR is still mostly based on cable TV, um, here anyways, uh, it, and we can find any of the races, uh, to watch on that uh mm-hmm. in terms of f1 that has obviously taken an interesting turn for everybody with f1 tv um we we can get that it is it is broadcast heavily uh i mean as we're recording this the race that's going on there's in there's about five in car views that have dedicated channels on wow. um on our tv network um just the streams from f1 tv essentially uh, but it's nice to be able to have some of those and uh, and, and and watch the in-car action or the scoring, uh, the scoring channel as well. Uh, so it's really easy to find any of pretty much any racing, even if it's um, not not top league racing that's going mm-hmm. on. There's. TSN, uh, they do a good job of putting on some of the local racing as well at times. Uh, again, it's not on at prime time and it's certainly certainly not live. Uh, yeah. But uh, you'll see ca- the Canadian NASCAR series or uh, there's a Canadian Touring Car Championship that they put on from time to time as well.
0: The race is happening right now. So luckily with this, I this is my first year with F1 TV and I only did it because at least here, they'll change it from like ESPN2 most weekends, and then randomly they'll change it to another channel because it's at a stupid time or whatever. Yeah. And sometimes my DVR would not catch it, and so then it would record the reruns, which is edited and stuff like that. So I just got tired of it, and I actually really like F1 TV with the flexibility you have. You can get the in-car, you can get two different uh, commentator feeds. I think it's a really great app. It's a bit clunky on the TV, but it serves a purpose. I need it for.
1: Yeah, I I don't personally have F one TV myself, but uh, I know a bunch of people that do, and they say uh, I've actually seen a really cool companion app for it. I can't remember what it's called, but it almost y- you you sometimes see the shots of uh, the race teams and the setups that they have trackside, um, hmm. you know, the, like nine televisions and everything, and it cr- it, it emulates that on a computer huh. screen. Um, so you get uh, all all the. All, a bunch of the F1 TV screens on one, one, one screen. And I can't remember what it's called. I saw an ad for it the other day, but it's pretty cool. It's kind of F1 has done a great job. I think in terms of how they present the, the product to fans uh, with F1 TV, it's, Mm -hmm. and what they make available to the fans is, is great. And something that you don't really get in a lot of other racing series.
0: Yeah. I, there are some things that I've not liked that Liberty media has done since they've taken over, but I think they've really, the app and making it more accessible and things like that for viewing um, off of cable, I think it's gotten a lot better. Um, I'm not really a fan of when they started doing the the pit wall interviews and stuff. I feel Mm. like it's kind of manufactured a little bit. But other than that, I'm I'm happy with it and what they're doing with it.
1: Yeah, overall, they do a really good job.
0: Yeah. So I guess that's a good segue for a new viewer, because I don't follow sports car and prototype racing very closely because of the lack of accessibility, I guess you could say. Maybe I haven't been trying hard enough because like, I think they're starting to do some stuff on YouTube and things like that. Um, but I know a friend that I used to work with, he was really into to WEC and stuff like that. Uh, how would you compare uh, prototype racing, sports car racing, endurance racing to you know NASCAR or Formula 1 like to the casual viewer as far as like rules and things like that or what to expect I guess you could say
1: yeah there's there are some really big differences between especially F1 um uh, F1 is is a lot closer I think to sports car racing than NASCAR is um but there's a there's so many differences uh, b- between the two and and really I, I would say the the biggest ones are the the differences in rules of course between Formula One and NASCAR or between Formula One and and IMSA for instance e- even between different sports car racing series the rules can be vastly different um, but the rules and the the different classes having two having two three four different classes of cars out on track can be complicated for a first time viewer of it. Um, I think most people pick up pretty quickly the prototype cars versus the GT cars and the obvious obvious differences that are there. Um, but right now within IMSA, there's three different types of prototype classes and two different types of GT classes that can be pretty complicated for the first time viewer. Um, so doing some basic education is is definitely advised for a new viewer. Uh, whether that's sitting down and there's some you know there's some good YouTube videos out there. there's some great articles that have been written as well uh, that you know, give just a brief description on, on what to expect. Um, but then also the length of races. Uh, you look at a Formula One race, you know you're looking at you know an hour and a half ish, I think, that's kind of reasonable nascar races they can vary pretty widely from a, a couple hours to five hours and for for some of the really long races mm-hmm. um but i would say those are the two big differences and if you're a new fan and, and you're tuning in to say the, the rolex 24 which is a, the 20 the season opening 24 hour race um in, if you don't know kind of what you're getting into, it might be difficult to follow, and it might be perceived. Mm-hmm. You know, a new fan might look at it and say, "Oh, you know, this is this is kind of boring," um, even though what's going on in the background is is vastly different to what goes on in a typical F one or or a NASCAR race, especially sure. strategy wise.
0: Yeah, and that's strategy is one of those things where the I think the casual fan or viewer doesn't really pick up on, like. With F1, because I follow that most closely, like there's, you know, mid grid rivalries and, you know, teams fighting for various slots uh, in the finishing order. And then within the race as well, there's different stuff going on with strategies. And so my wife doesn't really get it sometimes. She's like, oh, the same person's in the lead again, you know. So it's not really exciting for her. But um, once you start kind of drilling down a little bit and can, recognize the other competitions going on within the same race i think it becomes a little bit more entertaining
1: yeah definitely and and that's one of the things that especially in the longer endurance races Mm -hmm. whether you're talking IMSA or the world endurance championship um when you get into those longer races you do have to really keep a keen eye out for um you know, are they double stinting tires? Because it's unlike in Formula One um, that you very well might just keep the tires on for another stint. The tires are mm-hmm. a lot more durable. Um, there's only one compound of tire that they're using as well. So there's no strategy uh, to be gained uh, from mm-hmm. that. Um, but double stinting tires, um, it, lots of the times they can run in different fuel modes to try and extend fuel stints. Um, and those things might not be um, extremely obvious uh, to fans, uh, even experienced fans at first. Um, but it definitely adds to the enjoyment of you know what's the strategy that's going on here? Are they trying to? What are they trying to pull with this? And it adds a different element to uh, to the race than than what you'll see uh, in F one or or NASCAR, IndyCar, et cetera.
0: Sure. the tires always kind of amaze me how long they can last like they're doing i what's the average stint, like a half hour 45 minutes depending on the track maybe a couple of hours um and they're doing one set of tires generally per or one driver may do two sets of tires i would imagine right yeah during the during the whole stint that he does but they last so much longer compared, like, I mean, obviously the Pirellis for Formula One are designed to fall off quickly uh, because of the nature of how long they race and things like that. But just from a, a technical perspective, it amazes me how long they've been able to engineer the tires to last compared to say, if you get like a track tire for your road car, you know, that's going to last 10 or 15 track days and you're not actually, you're not hooning it the whole time like you are in a competitive racing uh, situation. So that's one of the aspects of the racing that really impresses me.
1: Yeah, actually, the the, the biggest moment that comes to my mind in, in recent IMSA memory, at least, or recent sports car racing memory, where tires, tires, of course, always play a big role, but last year at the season-ending race um, at uh, Petit Le Mans. It's a 10-hour race that finishes off the season mm-hmm. um, in in at Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta, in, in Georgia. And uh, that ha- it went down, I think, in October or early November last year. And the temperatures... It goes into the evening time. The sun goes down. And the, the temperature changes from during the day to into the evening were, were massive. It was mm-hmm. almost... If it didn't hit the freezing point, it was very, very close to it, uh, by the, in the, for the final evening stints that the drivers were running and they don't use tire warmers in IMSA, um, in, in other forms of sports car racing, they will, or in formula one. Um, there's actually been a discussion very recently about, uh, about the tire warmers in F1, uh, but they don't use them in IMSA. So these drivers were going out on these ice cold tires and, um, they were actually they were opting to not change tires at the end because the tire wear was so low um and the heat that they lost that they would have it would take several laps to get them up to speed and they were losing you know 15 20 seconds over these few laps trying to get them up to up to speed so it was so interesting seeing the strategy calls that were put into play there and and um yeah, just the, the, the tire strategy, not that you just see in, in sports car racing, but in Formula One as well. And yeah, it's, uh, there's so many aspects of, of racing that are very, very interesting once you mm-hmm. really dive into it.
0: Sure. Have you, how many events have you been to? I imagine you try to go to uh, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park and probably the Watkins Glen fairly frequently.
1: Yeah. So in terms of actually IMSA races that I've attended in person... Um, it has been a little bit limited. Um, of course I really started to get into IMSA, um, in 2018, 2019. Um, despite me being at the track a lot as a kid, uh, I didn't actually, to my memory, I don't remember attending an IMSA race until 2019, uh, which is at Cana- which was at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Um, and I went, uh, went with my dad and it was, you know, great weekend, uh, but then, unfortunately, when COVID hit, uh, we lost races for both Formula One and for, uh, for IMSA in 2020 and in 2021. So, unfortunately, didn't get to do, didn't do any traveling to go see anything um, during those times. But uh, was able to watch a bunch of it on TV. and then And then this year, yeah, got to go to the Six Hours of the Glen, which was a great time um at at Watkins Glen got to go to uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park for the race there and I also went to the Formula One race in Montreal and it was a it was a busy June for me those are all back to back to back weekends so it was it was a lot of fun to just go on a a racing binge uh over that time but uh would love to would love to make plans to go to some of the races that are down in Florida the IMSA Mm -hmm. races specifically at Sebring and at Daytona but uh Mm -hmm we'll see uh we'll see how travel plans uh, line up for
0: those <laughs> I've been absorbing a lot of your content uh, for the for the view- listeners that aren't aware you have a YouTube and uh, podcast channel they're kind of like sister channels correct
1: there's lots of people that would prefer not to consume the content I would say on YouTube sure. uh, so I do have the audio it's the audio only feed and I think it stands well enough on its own mm-hmm. that uh, that you are you're able to uh anyone that anyone's able to follow along on, on either one.
0: Sure. I've been absorbing a lot of that recently and it sounds like there's a lot of, or some, some good shakeups coming for the next year. There's some rule changes, some new classes, getting rid of some classes. Um, what are you most excited for, for next year's um, categories and grid as a whole?
1: Yeah. Next year is going to be the, the next couple of years for sports car racing is going to be very big. Um, the, uh, it, in IMSA, as well as in the World Endurance Championship, they're introducing a new, uh, a new, I guess, a spec of car uh, in the LMDH category, <clears throat> or the LMDH cars. Uh, they're going to be racing in different named categories, which is one of the complicated things I kind of hate about sports car racing. <laughs> it's very difficult to follow cross series, um, but essentially it's going to be the same cars that are racing in these two in these two series, it's they have a spec hybrid system in them. Um, they're, it's, they're not spec cars by any means. Um, but one of the things that's been a problem with sports car racing in the past has been the price tag that manufacturers have to pay to create a competitive car. Um, in the past, they'd have to design their own chassis, all the all their own components themselves. And it's really deterred a lot of interest in competing at the highest end in the prototype classes um, in both IMSA and the World Endurance Championship. Um, So what the LMDH, uh, what that car is meant to do is it utilizes uh, four essentially spec chassis um, that a manufacturer can build off of. They can use their own engine. BMW is using an old DTM engine, um, Lexus or Active. Acura is using um, a modified, I think it's an IndyCar engine, actually, hmm. um, that, they're, that they've modified for use. So um, it, it's allowed manufacturers, it's very flexible in what they can do to the cars. Um, and then from there, they, um, they'll BOP them. They'll uh, apply a balance of performance uh, to make them all relatively equal. There are still some cars that are going to be better on some tracks, um, but generally speaking, they are going to be competitive with one another. Um, so what this has done with introducing so many more spec parts, spec hybrid system, essentially f- four specs of a chassis, is it's lowered the barrier of entry for lots of manufacturers, and it's kind of caused an explosion in interest in, uh, in this top class. So we're going to see next year BMW, Acura, um, Cadillac, And uh, and Porsche that are going to be on on the grid at Daytona with interest from Lamborghini is coming in 2024. Um, In Europe for the World Endurance Championship, uh, Ferrari has built a similar car. The rules are a little bit more, are a little different in Europe, but um, for, for the World Endurance Championship, but Ferrari's building a car there, Alpine, which is a name that lots of people recognize from Formula One. Uh, they're they've raced in sports car racing for a while, and they're going to be building a car um, as well. Peugeot. So there's so much interest that that has stemmed from this change in formula, and that it's really exciting to see that come come into play in IMSA and just sports car uh, racing in general. Um, so I think that that interest that that interest level from the manufacturers. It should translate over to you know. There's going to be increased marketing that's around that. Um, seeing more competitive classes on the grid um, at at some of the biggest races in in the world is going to be good for fans um, and and is really drumming up a lot of buzz around sports car racing right now.
0: Am I correct in thinking that the LMDH category is? either code developed or it's trying to they're trying to bring the classes together close more closely to like the LAMA series in Europe with WEC.
1: Yeah, so one of the things one of the objectives of this IMSA and the governing body for LAMA, they they've they've clashed heads a little bit in uh, in recent years. And it's really led to the point it led to the point where the 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 Previous generation of DPI cars, which were the top prototype level cars in in North America, they couldn't go over and just race at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. It was a completely different spec, a completely different formula of a car, and they were ineligible to compete. So you had very much a World Endurance Championship versus IMSA sort of butting of heads going on. And they've come together, and they created these, the, LM, the set of LMDH regulations together so that uh, an LMDH car can compete in both IMSA as well as the World Endurance Championship. And the previous spec of uh, Hypercar is what it's called in the World Endurance Championship. Um, they've also built the LMDH spec to, to make it so that the Hypercars and the LMDH cars can race together. Um, So we're going to see the likes of Toyota, Ferrari. uh, They're going to be racing against, you know, Cadillac and Porsche, BMW and Lamborghini in the future, possibly McLaren. Um, So the the formula for this new LMDH car has been really great in in bringing these together. And we're going to see that come come into play in January at the at the Rolex 24, where. The, there's going to be World Endurance Championship competitors that are racing just in the 24 hours of Daytona. Um, and it's going to be great to be able to to see that. And hopefully it opens up more and in the coming years to where we'll see the likes of, say, Toyota or Ferrari bring their hypercars over and compete in IMSA, which is something that they haven't been able to do in in years.
0: Right. Yeah, I feel like it's easy to say from a span, fan perspective, it would just make sense that the same cars that run at Lamar can also run Daytona and Sebring. But because of political reasons, similar to like Formula One and IndyCar, you know, there are separate categories and they have their own spec, which from a perspective of those organizations that run those series to have your own specs, you have your own reason for having a certain spec and things like that. So you it kind of... Is antithetical to what um, spectators probably prefer, but I, hopefully this brings more sameness or, or more parity to the two classes, so that we can really see people kind of crossing the Atlantic and being in both both um, races or several.
1: Yeah, that's that is that was really one of the goals um, based on everything I know. Uh, with the creation of this LMDH uh, category, and and it's it's really interesting how it came together. It's largely based on the DPI formula, which has run in IMSA for the past five five or six years, I believe. Um, where the L or uh, the DPI category was based on the chassis that they utilize are actually in one of the lower categories in IMSA, the LMP2 category, it also races in the World Endurance Championship. But they're the same chassis. It's an LMP2 chassis that they they built this DPI car. They you know popped in a new engine, you know, a different arrow parts to be able to make it look more like a Cadillac or make it more mm. l- make it look more like an Acura. Um, and and then those key components have transitioned over to this LMDH formula, where the cars they distinctly look like. Uh, you know, a BMW. The BMW has, you know, the kidney grills. Um, the the Porsche, it looks like it, it has styling cues. The Cadillac, again, it's, it might not look like a Cadillac that you see on the road today, but GM is setting that up for future years where the Cadillacs the design is going to evolve. And and it, it's, it's cool to see that, that especially if you're an owner of one of those cars and you can relate to that on TV, which you've, you've been able to do that with a, the with a GT cars that look very close to what you see on mm-hmm. the road, but you haven't been able to do that with these kind of spaceship-looking prototype cars sometimes.
0: Yeah, and a great example of that is going back, what, 16 years to the Audi R8, when the R8 um, prototype was on the track. It was very much a Le Mans prototype. It had the open cockpit. It was, you know, it looked like, almost like a double seater car, like open wheel car with closed fenders and everything. But then they brought out the R8 road car, and of, of course it's a completely different car. Um, and even through the years in the WEC, the prototypes, you could tell it's, I mean, I think the name is very apt. It They look like prototype cars or or like it's forefront of technology and research and design and things like that. Um, and so I, I think it's, I, I like the way the sport is going as a whole um, with with those various things we've been talking about.
1: Yeah. And and really, again, it, it all kind of, it's amazing how all these things work in a in a cycle. You know, you make cars or you, you specify that a car has to have road, not a road car look to it, but it has to has have has to have design cues from a road car and then you see that coming you know you see that in person and fans are able to recognize that manufacturers recognize that there that there's interest there and there's a more of a direct tie to those cars for customers so they in they increase their interest and want to build a car and then it kind of all cycles around and and it all works in this vicious sort of cycle that ultimately it re- one of the, the kind of catchphrases, I guess that's thrown around right now is we're entering a golden era for sports car <laughs> racing. And as, as cliche as it kind of is, um, there's just as much truth to it as, uh, as, as, as it sounds, the, the what's going on on the prototype side and the interest that, that has been increasing there is going to transition to the GT side as well. Um, And those GT cars, you know, there's a lot of manufacturers that are coming out with new cars. BMW just released uh, their new car uh, a year ago. Um, There's going to be a new Ferrari on the grid this year that was just unveiled a few weeks ago. Um, There's also going to be a slight variation on the Lamborghini. There's going to be a new Porsche that's on the grid Uh, there's a new Corvette that's coming next year. The Mustang is re-entering Ford is re-entering the top level of sports car racing. Well, one of the, the the top level of GT racing anyways, Mm -hmm. um, for the first time since they essentially won Le Mans with the Ford GT. Um, so it's gonna, it's great to see the Ford coming back. That's a big one. And, and seeing the interest from manufacturers is just, it's really good to see,
0: (laughs) You mentioned a Corvette it actually reminded me of something that I've been wondering about, and I don't know if you have an opinion on it, but the C8 Corvette switched to a mid engine layout and for the road car. And that I think is allowing them to be able to do a lot more. Like they were kind of coming up to the wall of how much power they could put into the car of the, you know, the C7 and have it still be drivable. And now they've gone to mid engine. Do you think that will, provide benefits in spades to the GT racing or do you think when it comes to the GT spec Corvette C7 that it didn't really won't be that much of a difference in competitiveness or or drivability or things like that
1: yeah so of course they have updated the newest edition of the Corvette that's racing in IMSA right now uh which Previously was a GTLM spec car that um, IMS has allowed them to run at reduced. I believe it. I believe they reduced the power and they've had to change up some arrow components to make it GT worthy. Um, but uh, I I I don't. I really. I don't think that the engine where it's where it's positioned in the car has made a significant difference to the performance of it. Well, it's made a significant. Uh, change in performance for definitely from one car to the other. But overall, the, the way that the BOP, the balance of performance adjustments mm. work, they'll cover a lot of that up. It's going to be mostly in the hands of the drivers to adjust their driving styles um, sure. to uh, to the new car. Um, it may, the, the position of the engine is going to definitely... It's going to affect performance at certain tracks that is for sure Um, for instance this year the corvette was very strong at sebring i believe it was Um, and it was not very strong at daytona Uh, two different styles of track Uh, sebring of course extremely bumpy and rough Um, but the corvette uh, and its characteristics allowed it to to excel more than some of the other gt uh, spec cars there so It's going to, it would affect things more like uh, tracks that it's strong at as opposed to its overall performance. Um, But definitely would lead to, definitely would have led to a serious period of adjustment for drivers that are, that went from, you know, uh, had to adjust to this mid engine car now.
0: (laughs) Do you have a favorite um, category of racing? within within sports car and endurance like do you prefer prototypes over gt cars or anything like that
1: so one of the things that i always despised when i started getting into sports car racing and is it can be a bit of a problem at times with the broadcast is the amount of focus that they put on the prototype classes and it's i I understand it's because the prototypes are the fastest cars in the world at one point they were uh just as fast as formula one cars um and I, and I understand putting the focus uh, behind those. but so that kind of pushed me towards being a big GT fan. Um, I, I've really enjoyed the uh, GTLM when that was in ImSA and, uh, and GTD and this year GTD Pro. Uh, there's been some great battles that have have come out of that. Um, but I also, of course, really enjoy the prototype racing. Um, we've been, Really fortunate the past couple of years, especially in IMSA, some of the championship battles that uh, we've had in that category. Um, if, if I had to pick one, I'm still going to lean towards the, the GT categories. Um, but uh, But overall, at the end of the day, I don't think there's a bad category for racing in IMSA right now. All of it does produce, at one point or another, some really good racing
0: a little bit of nostalgia, I guess you could say, what is a rule, a track, or category, or whatever that you'd bring back if you could? Like, um, for example, in Formula One, everyone says, you know, let's bring back the refueling or, you know, let's um, take off the aero or something like that. You know, what's something you would bring back that you think would really benefit the sport in any particular way?
1: I mean, the big obvious one that comes to my mind it, they're already doing and that's with the with the lmdh ca- uh, cars and it's going to be called gtp in imsa um, but with these lmdh cars and and bringing those back it's going to re- it should hopefully return that top level of sports car racing to what we kind of saw in the late 80s into the early nineties with, uh, they were called group C cars Mm -hmm. and it was very similar. You could compete in, um, in the 24 hours of Daytona and you could compete at Le Mans with the same, the same car. And the interest that stemmed from that was, was large. There was, there was huge grids and it was great to see, um, it got expensive, but hopefully that's something that the LMDH formula can help keep in check. So I think that that is that's great. And I think that's the biggest thing that has been missing from sports car racing um, was the ability for the fastest sports cars in the world to go and race at Le Mans and race at Daytona. Um, So that that's great that we're seeing that if we wanted to go and, you know, bring back a specific track. I would love to see another Canadian stop. I'm being very biased here, but seeing another Canadian stop on the calendar, there's some really good old school tracks that really fly under the radar. One of the ones that comes to my mind is um, Montremblant. It hosted a Formula One race. Uh, I don't know if it was in the 60s or the – it was probably in the 60s, I think. Uh, maybe in the seventies. Uh, that's one the, the one Canadian... at the top
0: of the hill by the Olympic Park, right?
1: No, it's, Oh, that's um, is that something else. It is in a ski village, uh, okay. in Quebec. Um, but um, but it's it's just in a really scenic, you know, a, a small town and a relatively small town. Um, but uh, they hosted the Canadian GP there before uh, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve was mm. was opened in Montreal. And um, I think it would be great to see IMSA go and, and run a race there, even if it's just for a one-off I I would, I would personally love to see a return to that track. And because one of the nice, one of the really unique differences with, especially North American sports car racing Mm -hmm. and IMSA, even compared to the world endurance championship and especially to F1 uh, is the style of circuit that they race on. Um, Whether you, it doesn't, you can see there's so many tracks in North America that um, really sort of old school circuits. If you put a tire off, then you're in grass or there's gravel that's right there. Whereas lots of the European circuits, um, you know, there's lots of asphalt that you can, if you go a little bit wide, you know, you're going to be, you might be looking at track limits, but the track limits in lots of North American circuits are, yeah, you're losing a few seconds because you yeah. have to try and pick yourself up and and save yourself uh, going through the grass here. Um, so that's one of that's one of the things that I really love about um, North American sports car racing, and I think that um, Mont would make a would would be a very good fit for uh, at least a race in IMSA.
0: Okay i am totally off base when I said about the one within the Olympic Park I was thinking of Barcelona oh <laughs> from, from back in this I think it was about the same time period the 60s or whatever but they actually drove on a street on a street circuit and it went up the hill out of Barcelona and around what is now the um, the Olympic Park and I think it's got a similar name which is why I was getting confused when you were saying that so
1: incredible some of the ways that they they use the previous olympic facilities for i mean we see it with the uh the the circuit that they raced in formula one and for the russian gp and Mm -hmm. how they utilize that kind of kind of interesting that some of these formula one circuits are are revolving around old olympic facilities but
0: you mentioned about the american circuits actually reminded me of one that i had wanted to ask you about is lime rock that looks like a very basic not challenging course but I imagine it's got some kind of a challenge to it. But it just if you look at a track layout, it looks like a glorified NASCAR track almost.
1: Yeah. And I, I agree with you completely. And I think uh, you could make a very similar argument for Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. And and, mm. and it, you look at that track map and it looks like, okay, you know, this is, a, it, it, it's a circuit. It doesn't <laughs> look really incredible. Um, but once you get there and you see the elevation, both at Lime Rock and at CTMP, it really adds a unique challenge. And, and I think maybe this stems a a lot from some of the popular circuits that, that we see on Formula One, or even in some of these, the biggest races, Daytona doesn't have a ton of elevation. Le Mans, it has portions of elevation, but, um, still lots of, lots of flat circuits, Sebring, of course, it's an old airfield, so it's going to be pretty flat. Uh, it's easy to forget some of that, that vertical elevation and, and how that can be that, how that can increase the challenge level for, for drivers. And Lime Rock Park, definitely not an easy, uh, an easy circuit. Same with CTMP. There's, I don't think there's, if there's an easy circuit out there, then, um, if you're thinking of it as easy as a driver, Then you need to make sure that you hit your marks at every single point because there's going to be other drivers that are hitting the marks at every single point. So there's going to always be unique challenges, but um, I don't know if you have access to iRacing or, or anything like that and being able to go and and drive some of these circuits. They are they are incredible. And then seeing the elevation change in person. It does. TV doesn't do it justice. TV or video games or simulators, whatever you want to call it, um, does not do it justice. Some mm-hmm. of the elevation changes that are at these tracks.
0: North American racing—they have gone, or they continue to go to to Laguna Seca, correct? Have correct. they ever been? Have they ever gone to Sonoma?
1: I believe uh, IMSA. Specifically, IMSA ran at Sonoma in the past, mm-hmm. but they haven't been there in a number of years. Uh, there are some smaller uh, series, um, GT GT America. I believe there's the GT World Challenge. There's a Fanatec GT World Challenge series. I believe that they also run at Sonoma. Um, but uh, that uh, NASCAR, I, I think, IndyCar might run there. I'm not one hundred percent sure on that, um, but yeah, there have there has been in the past some races at uh, at Sonoma, and some series, mm-hmm. of course, continue to go there on a yearly basis.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I've just always liked any of the GT style racing because it looks so road relevant. Like for example, anytime you see some of the BTCC cars, or they have the um, what the Lamborghini Blanc Spain. Uh, however you say it, that I think it's just cool to watch ten, fifteen, twenty Lamborghinis just running around a racetrack because you never see Lamborghini's being pushed hard. and just something about that is pretty cool to me
1: honestly, if if that interests you, then one of the imza uh, series that travels around with um one of the support series is the uh, is an m x five cup, the hmm. Mazda Idemitsu m x five cup. and that is some of the best racing that I, that you will ever see in your life. They are, it's a spec Miata motor, um, that you get on the, sh- you get, you can get it on the showroom floor. They send essentially the spec car to this, to a garage in Florida and they install, I, I had the opportunity to talk to them at the six hours of the Glen and, um, I, I can't recall it might be around 250 parts that they're swapping out. So it gets like a race suspension, a race transmission, of course, roll cage, all the safety mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but essentially what you see out on track is a largely stock car. And these things are bump drafting. They are, they are racing so hard and it is some of the, it is some of the best racing that I've ever seen in my life. And if you have an opportunity to see it in person, definitely go and check it out or they broadcast all of their races um it's free on imsa tv um no matter where you are in the world um and i believe racer.com i think also broadcasts their races on youtube um great 45 minute races and some of the best racing you'll ever see
0: so i guess we can probably start wrapping it up um if for any of the listeners that want to find you and learn more about prototype racing, sports car racing, you are on YouTube, youtube.com slash at off in the S's. You're also on Twitter, off in the S's, and that's E-S-S-E-S, uh, as well as your website, off in um, You've got a podcast, so if you're not really into visual, you, you've got more time for the audio. You can find that podcast. That's from pretty much all the platforms, correct?
1: Yep. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you should be able to uh, to find it.
0: Okay. Um, what's next up on the agenda? What do you look? What do you? I guess what's coming up in the off season now that the last couple of races are done.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I really want to work on this uh, this off season, and it kind of stems from, I guess, lots of the things that we've talked about today, is um, there's lots of new fans that enter the world of sports car racing, and of course, I focus on on IMSA. And it can be difficult to know where to start. Uh, Just learning the basics, what the different classes are, why there's different race lengths. Like you can go from vary from a two hour and forty minute race to a twenty four hour race. Um, So I'm going to do a series on sort of the basics of uh, of of IMSA and sports car racing leading up to the Rolex twenty four hours in uh, in January. So sort of planning for that is in uh, in full swing right now and. There's so much news that's coming, um, coming across for silly season drivers going places, um, getting to see some of the new LMDH cars for the first time and learning about how they're testing. So there's there's lots of stuff going on and uh, uh, but lots of exciting stuff to come in the Mm -hmm. uh, in the coming. Oh, man, we're only like a little over two <laughs> months away from daytona so yeah uh, lots of stuff to come in the next couple months
0: <laughs> i'm definitely going to look out for your your entry level stuff that you just mentioned uh, about the different classes and things like that i'm not super in tune with the different classes but i think it'll be really interesting because there's probably more to it than you could just pick up during the average race and things like that so i'm definitely looking forward to to those pieces coming out
1: yeah it should be uh should be a good off season and and putting out some yeah, you know, some educational content, which I think is really lacking in the space, uh, right now.
0: Sure. All right. Well, thanks for coming on and everyone keep an eye out for often the S's in whatever media mode you choose to, uh, digest. Um, Stu, thanks for coming on and we look forward to what's coming from you from the, soon.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I had a, a great time chatting, uh, chatting about IMSA and just racing in general.
0: Thanks again for joining me. You can reach me by email at windingroadspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at windingroadspodcast. Stay in touch. You can always ask me a question, recommend a guest, or just tell me what's on your mind. I look forward to hearing from you. Your feedback is also always appreciated, and I would love it if you could rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app of choice. Until next time, enjoy the drive.